Hello and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are going back in the time machine to December of 1997 to bring you coverage of the UFC Ultimate Japan show, also known as UFC 15.5. There are six volumes of the show for you this month. Uh, This is volume four for December. Volume one is uh, covering WCW and Starcade with the long-awaited Sting versus Hulk Hogan match. Volume two, look back at WWF for the month and the In Your House Degeneration X pay-per-view. And Volume 3 is all your ECW coverage. With being December, the two extra volumes, Volume 5 being the uh, end-of-year review and Volume 6, the end-of-year awards. But as I said, this is Volume 4 for December 1997. And joining me on the MMA adventure, we have Bob Bamba. Bob, how are you doing? Chris, very well, thank you. Good evening. Uh, Yes, I think... uh much like UFC at this point, I suspect this is one of those shows that might not get quite as much interest as the others. But, you know, for the for the sake of completeness and for the sake of being intrigued by the, the ups and the downs of UFC, I think we uh, we need to cover it. There's some interesting stuff on this show, though. But, uh, yes, good evening, Chris. How are we? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Bob. Um, would you kindly kick us off on the show with uh, the media corner for the month, please? Yes, one of the shorter ones we'd, uh, I've ever put together. I think we did, uh, it might have been earlier this year, I think we did uh, that one where they moved on like 48 hours notice and I had like three three pages of media quarter. This one's a little bit shorter. Uh, the first one pertains to Ken Shamrock, an agreement structure in the USC and the WWE have to bring in Shamrock to face in Nubahiko Takada. Deal was struck on December the 4th, though despite agreeing to promote it, the WWF didn't bother on either their In Your House G-Generation X pay-per-view or Raw the next night to promote the show. However, when it was revealed that Takada was injured, Semaphore Entertainment Group, i.e. the parent company of USC, didn't want to pay the agreed fee for Shamrock, $150,000, unless it was a fight against Takada, basically because they thought that, you know, it'd be a big fight if it was Takada because Takada's the big star in Japan and Shamrock's this this big crossover star both in terms of wrestling and MMA but also in terms of in America and in Japan Shamrock had a lot of name value that certainly would have helped the show on pay-per-view or at least where you could see it at this point in America so that didn't happen um Shamrock went as far I think to train for the fight over a um, I, th- I think Dave Meltzer says Shamrock was trying to cram in a month-long training camp into seven days. Um, and in the end, they cut it short, and he's on Raw the next night, as you do. Um, some other show notes, as I say, relatively quiet. Nippon Television survived, signed on to carry USC Japan on television on tape delay, meaning it would be the largest ever audience to see a USC show. It ended up, it ended up being aired at like half past one in the morning on tape delay. Ended up doing a 4.0 rating, which I, I didn't get a quantify, uh, a qualification on the number of viewers that that, that, uh, that corresponded to, but it apparently very good. Uh, Mark Cole was recovering from knee surgery. He wasn't going to be on this show, but it was telling people he'll be available for the pay-per-view in March of 1998. And Frank Shamrock, Ken's brother, beat Ensign Inoue for the, or Inoue rather, for the right to face Kevin Jackson on USC Japan at a violated Tudo event. Um, Chris, not much going, I think, in uh, in Media Corner, so unless you've got anything to say, we might as well uh, rattle into the show. No, yeah, not, not a whole lot to say. Interesting that they tried to get Shamrock back, and quite frankly, having seen the show, a bit of a shame 
that they didn't quite pull it off for whatever reason. Um, I, I suppose yeah, also say, it's it, it's interesting. It's the you know it, I think I would have always assumed that when uh, when USC got a hold of Brock Lesnar a year or two ago, that would have been the first time the WWF released one of their performers to uh, to fight in the USC. But alas, not obviously this one just never happened. No, and it's interesting that at this stage they were very willing to, and like I, I suppose that has a lot to do with the the fee that they were going to receive for Shamrock, which was pretty hefty, but I mean, they were willing to work with the UFC in 1997. And that's interesting and something that I don't think a lot of people would know looking back at this time period. Um, Obviously you've seen WWF um, work with ECW in certain ways. Um, So it's interesting to see that they're also willing to share that relationship with the UFC. But, uh, that, money talks, right? Money. I think is the uh, is the long story short. Yeah, very much so. Um, with that out of the way, we'll jump straight into the uh, UFC and show. Uh, so, Bob, back to you. And uh, would you run us through the results of the card, please? Yes, on the uh, heavyweight alternate bout, Trey Telligman defeated Brad Kohler by armbar in ten minutes and five seconds. Uh, two tournaments for you tonight. Um, Sorry, one tournament for you tonight. I should read that properly. In the heavyweight tournament semi-finals, Kazuki Sakuraba defeated Marcus Silvera. Or sorry, that went to a no contest. Sorry, uh, after a, a stoppage, you'll hear about all of that. Um, although, suffice to say, not the only time they face each other on this show. So that went to a, a no contest. Originally, uh, referee Big John McCarthy awarded to Sierra, uh, Sil- Silvera after feeling that Sakuraba had been knocked out, but it, you know. It gets a bit iffy, but they rematch later in the show. Uh, in the other semi-final, Tank Abbott defeated Hoji Anjo by decision in 15 minutes. But Abbott, not surprising. They said he'd broken his hand. You've always got to be a bit suspicious with Tank Abbott. Got a feeling he was a bit knackered after 15 minutes. So uh, Abbott won the match, but didn't advance in the uh, in the tournament. In the light heavyweight championship match, Frank Short defeated Kevin Jackson in 22 seconds with an armbar. In the heavyweight bout, Vitor Belfort defeated Joe Charles by submission in 4 minutes and three seconds. That fight's a bit weird as well. We'll come to that. The heavyweight tournament final. Kazushi Sakuraba defeated Marcus Silvera by armbar in three minutes and 44 seconds. They fought each other again. Yes, we'll come to all of that. And in the main event, Randy Couture defeated USC heavyweight champion Morris Smith to win the title by decision in 21 minutes. Chris. Bob, back to you, Brilly. What did you make of this show? The first ever international show for the UFC. Uh, yeah, um, I, I think I, I said a lot doing these UFC shows that they've all been consistently good and consistently entertaining. I think this was the first one we've covered that's probably fallen a fair way short of that. Um, you know, it being in Japan, it lacked a bit of that wackiness that we get in, you know, like, you know, up sticks in Alabama in front of like 1500 rowdy fans it kind of lacked that edge to it and that kind of wildness um you know in some respects it helped I, I don't know how well that main event would have gone down in front of a, a US audience at this time in uh, this stage in time in terms of a main event that was so much on the mat um yeah, other than that though no great fight uh, some interesting things going on um, which I suppose always helps, but yeah, like the show didn't drag particularly. I didn't find it that much of a problem. Um, but lacking a big fight, um, some weird things going on that we'll come to. Um, yeah, I think one of the more forgettable UFC shows that we've covered. 
I'd agree with that. It did feel a bit flat. I don't think the uh, international nature of the show particularly benefited the card and what we saw in terms of watching at home and the quality of the action and the atmosphere. Something lacking, as you say, definitely compared to some of the uh, domestic US UFC shows up until now. Um, was a bit flat, but as you read through the results, I actually sort of was smiling to myself. There's There's enough talking points on this card and and enough things of um, note that made it sort of significant in a way. So to each individual instance as we uh, come to the specific fights, but let's crack on with the show. Live from Yokohama, Japan, as I said, the first ever international show from the UFC. We open the show with a video package running down the card, which is headlined by Marie Smith defending that UFC heavyweight title against Randy Couture. Our hosts are Mike Goldberg and Jeff Blatnick. Goldberg runs through the laws of the octagon, which are no biting, no fish hooking, eye gouging, head butting, hair pulling, groin strikes, small joint manipulation, pressure point strikes, elbows to the back of the head or neck, and no kicking when a man is down. So quite a lot of rules compared to in the past. Uh, we have a four-man tournament, a super fight, and two title fights. Uh, the tournament fights have one 12-minute round with a three-minute overtime. The non-tournament bouts have a 15-minute round with two three-minute overtime periods. We kick things off on the main card with the heavyweight tournament semi-finals. So, uh, Bob, straight over to you to introduce the fighters. Yes, the first semi-final tank, Abbott versus Yoji Anjo. Abbott enters the fight with a 6-6 six and six MMA record coming off of a loss to Maury Smith at UFC 15. Competing in his seventh UFC event, the pit fighter weighed in at £275. His opponent, Yoji Anjo, is a professional wrestler with an MMA record of 0-1. The judoka weighed in at £220. Uh, straight underway in the fight, and Tank Abbott grabs a hold of Anjo against the fence and quickly slams him down into the guard. Tank drops some heavy shots, but Anjo is able to, to survive, despite being forced back against the fence. He continues to throw strikes from the top, but his pace rapidly declines, with him starting to patiently pick occasional shots, as opposed to carrying on with a wild flurry, as you'd expect from Tank Abbott. He drives An- Anjo's head into the cage, where Anjo is able to attempt an armbar. Tank avoids the submission and resumes the ground and pound. His pace drops. John McCarthy stands them up around the four-minute mark. Tank opens up, becoming out swinging, and he gets another takedown down into Anjo's guard. There's minimal action from this position, with Tank driving him into the fence, as we've seen him do before, and laying on him, but he doesn't throw too much. And Anjo continuously brings his legs up, but he doesn't really get close to locking in a submission successfully. Around the nine-minute mark, Big John stands them up again. Tank looks knackered as they restart, and Andrew comes out and lands a couple of leg kicks, but catches a swinging right hand from Tank. Tank eventually closes the distance and is able to bully him into the cage for another takedown. Tank throws the occasional punch, but very little action going on here, and we reach the 12-minute round and move into overtime. We open, and Tank slowly presses forward before closing the distance, clinching against the fence and taking him down into the half-guard. Uh, Tank once again presses Anjo back into the fence and Anjo is able to get full guard but there is minimal action from this point very few significant strikes thrown and we reach the end of the fight 15 minutes have passed we go to the judges and Tank Abbott picks up the unanimous decision victory he's interviewed by Jeff Blatnick and he says that he thinks he broke his hand with one of the early strikes in the fight Bob, what did you make of our opener? 
Yeah, this is uh, this is a lot of Tank Abbott fights we've seen in the you know like uh, there's the there's about there's this kind of sweet spot with a Tank Abbott fight before he just completely runs out of gas and it's probably about two and a half minutes in um, and so either Tank Abbott has got to finish his opponent off or be finished off or the fight becomes real laborious for him and for everyone else. Uh, Abbott got on top, kind of and it's just crushed Andrew up against the side of the cage. Um, rained down with some punches, couldn't really get anything through. Anjo took a bit of a pounding, um, but he stayed in it. And at that point, it was just Tank surfing on top of him. They stood him up a couple of times. Abbott, you know, found a couple of extra bits of wind. They got back in the same position. Um, and we got about seven minutes in, and they were both just fucked. Um, and so, yeah, we spent the next eight minutes basically with the status quo. Uh, Abbott deservedly won the fight, but wasn't, you know... It's not a fight you need to see. You know, you can hear a description of it and know exactly what happened and just move on, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It wasn't exactly a barnstormer to kick off uh, the show. Pretty plodding, very little to get excited about. Uh, Tank gassed out really quickly, um, as you'd expect with a fighter of his stature, shall we say. Um, he, he did claim that he broke his hand in the fight, but... Um, Ultimately, like you said in the uh, introduction, he, he may well have just um, gassed out and been absolutely knackered. He didn't really do enough here. Seemed happy to just get Andrew down and hold him there and anything offensively from the ground and and on top of him. So uh, he got tired quickly too. It, it wasn't a great way to kick off the first ever international UFC show. We follow up with a video package looking at Kevin Jackson ahead of his middleweight championship fight later in the night. We see clips of him winning the UFC 14 middleweight tournament, and they hype up his wrestling pedigree. Uh, with that, we move into the second heavyweight tournament semi-final. So back over to Bob to introduce our competitors. Yeah, next up in the heavyweight semi-finals, it's Kazushi Sakuraba versus Marcus, or aka Conan Silvera. Sakuraba is a wrestler now considered to be one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. Known as the Gracie Hunter, he enters this fight with an 0-1 MMA record and weighs in at 203 pounds. His opponent, Marcus Conan Silvera, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner with an MMA record of 3-1, coming off to a loss at current UFC heavyweight champion Maurice Smith. He weighs in at 240 pounds uh, this fight is actually generally historically considered to be Sakuraba's first real MMA fight uh, his previous fight on his record is, is one with Kimo it's highlighted as being a work um, but it is on his official record so this is not technically his MMA debut but maybe his legitimate it's quite weird to him in the UFC um, when no one really knew who he was like from a uh, MMA perspective um, underway and both fighters press forward to begin with uh, before Sakuraba shoots in and gets the takedown doing well to avoid a guillotine attempt from Silvera in the process they scramble with Sakuraba standing and Silvera on his back but both men look for leg locks Silvera lands a nice up kick and uses a leg lock attempt to reverse their position and takes Sakuraba's back it's a nice suplex and rolls into a Kimura attempt before Sakuraba is able to escape and they come back to their feet. With a nice punch combination, so Silvera drops to shoot for a takedown, but Big John McCarthy steps in and stops the fight. Sakuraba, Sakuraba drops is... for the takedown. 
just a clap. Sorry, yes. Silvera looks... So, so sorry, I'll, I'll go through that again. Silvera uh, opens up with a punch combination. Sakuraba, in looking to avoid it, he drops to look for the takedown. But in dropping, Big John reads that as he's being dropped by a punch and he steps in to stop the fight. Sakuraba pops up immediately and is absolutely livid. Um, you can hear his corner shouting to McCarthy that Sakuraba is absolutely fine. But McCarthy insists that Sakuraba was out. Um, uh, he absolutely was not out. Um, and the replay show he was hit by a left uppercut. Then he blocked a one-two combination and shot in for the takedown. So this was, in my mind, a, re- a major referee mistake. McCarthy brings both men into the middle. and Bruce Buffer declares Silvera the winner by a knockout after one minute and 51 seconds. Sakuraba then tries to wrestle the mic away from Bruce Buffer, but he won't let that happen. Sakuraba and Silvera shake hands, but Sakuraba is very clearly furious. After a few minutes of replays and the announcers talking about how McCarthy had made the right decision because he is responsible for the safety of the fighters, the show moves on and we get a video package looking at Frank Shambark ahead of the middleweight title fight. It is then announced is out of the heavyweight tournament finals with a broken left hand and he's unable to continue. Mike Goldberg then comes in to tell us that after a review, the UFC sanctioning body has ruled that Sakuraba Silvera will stop prematurely and the pair will rematch again tonight in what is now the UFC tournament heavyweight final. Bob, thoughts on all of that? Yeah. Um, I, I went around trying to you know, because I I didn't know a lot about this fight before I uh, before I watched it, and I thought this is a bit fishy. So I went looking around because I'm like, you know, you you, you know, I, I you know, I think we kind of said this before. We don't want to spend every every match we ever watch for this show, or every fight or watch this show rather, um, thinking, oh, is it a work? Um, but the you know, like on a Japanese show, there's a, a false stoppage. Tank Abbott apparently has broken his hand, and oh look, we've got an excuse for a finale involving the the, the hometown hero. Um, yeah, I'm not saying it was it was a work fight. It, all, all everything I've read seems to suggest it's not. Of course, you might want to correct me otherwise. Um, but this was just weird. Um, you know, it was a nice kind of back and forth. There was that weird bit where they both kind of went for the the leg lock bit at the same time. Silvera going for a Kimura, you know, stuff like that. Um, they got to their feet. Silvera was throwing some pretty undefended punches and you know it was the the whole thing of you know defend yourself at all times like sakuraba didn't seem like he was defending any of those i think he was but it just looked like he was just wearing absolute pounding and then it was a really weird time to shoot for i think i I, i'm not saying this was just your description chris i know other people used it too i think we're being very generous if we call that a takedown attempt because he just dropped to the floor and basically just grabbed hold of silvera's leg um whether it would have gone anywhere or not i don't know um but I, i kind of think the the reason mccarthy called the fight was because Sakuraba hadn't defended about four or five punches in a row, and then he just appeared to collapse straight down. Um, you know, I think on on balance, it probably was legit. Like, you know, but it looks really weird. Like, it looks really suspicious. Um, you know, the one thing apparently that what didn't make the PPV cut uh, was apparently Sakuraba was protesting in the octagon for like 10, 15 minutes afterwards. Um, and yeah, <laughs> like... 
if it looks like a fish and it smells like one, then you know what I mean? Like, if it looks like a work and if it smells like a work, but apparently not, but very, very weird. It was completely unusual, and I, I, I do understand, like, where the suspicions come from, because they're, they're like, I don't know, you'd have to be, like, negligent to not suspect something here, almost. But I haven't really read anything to suggest that this was a work, like, really, like... um and I do find, like, big John McCarthy's involvement, like, I don't know. Reassuring? Is, is, is that the word you were looking for? Yeah, he's, he's a bit of legitimacy to it, in a way. Like, I don't know that he would be involved in that at this stage. Um, I can, like, to me, like, when you saw the replay, the slow motion replay, out of those punches that Sakuraba takes, only one really lands. Like, but he wasn't really defending though, though, was he? Really, it looked like he was just waiting. No, but he, he also like wasn't getting hit cleanly. Like it was, it was unusual. But if anything, what Sakuraba is guilty of is like unorthodox punching defense and an unorthodox takedown attempt. Like, and that's what sort of I think through John McCarthy. Like watching the replay, you can see why he called it that way. Obviously. Sakuraba was was fine. He wasn't out and he wasn't dropping as a result of the punches. That's what I read it as. See why he would have thought of that because it was unorthodox, really. Um, as far as sort of the result goes and like they're, they're back in for the for the final of the tournament, like if Tank Abbott's injury is legit, like seems pretty fair and reasonable to me. Like Silver, like neither the guys. It seems a bit convenient, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's kind of the thing, right? Uh, it, like, if it's not a work, it looks a lot like one. Like, you know I what think I mean? That's like, just coincidence almost. I, like, maybe I'm incredibly naive, but I tend to believe that this is completely legitimate and like a, quite frankly, an, a, a, an honest error from Big John McCarthy. That, like, it was the commentary team as well. Mark Goldberg and Jeff Blatnick immediately were talking about how like well what like he's got that one right because at the end of the day he's responsible for their safety if he feels like he's been hurt it's his responsibility to stop that fight prevent any injury blah 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 and they move on with the show it just i don't know i feel like if this was going to be a, i don't know if you if you were working this you'd play it different i don't know Maybe I'm just incredibly naive. I know, like, yeah, like, you know, again, like, I I feel like if 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 I had a real case here, other people would have made it. I haven't really read anyone make it. Um, it just all looks really convenient, and it's really weird. That's the one thing. Like, you haven't seen this, and you and you don't get to see it. I mean, I I say it's probably worth checking out. Actually, it just looks strange. They're stood up there. Silvera's throwing punches, apparently not particularly effective. And Sakuraba's not really making much of an attempt to defend them. And yet they don't look like they're really hurting him. And then he just drops straight to the floor. It was it was like no takedown attempt I've ever seen. As in most takedown attempt, you wouldn't do that uh, from my untrained eye. You wouldn't just telescope straight down to the ground and then just try and wrap your arms around your opponent's leg because you've got no power. It didn't look like a normal takedown attempt. Um, you know, it looks, you watch it real time, it looks like he's been knocked out and he went straight down and grabbed the leg. And it was like, well, you're just going to get fucking smashed in that position. I don't know. All looks a bit weird. As I say, though, I think, like, if there was more to this, other people would have made it, and they haven't. So it's probably fine. I'm just a bit suspicious. Very weird match, though, whatever way, shape, or form. 
Yeah, completely. I completely agree. At the end of the day, this has to have a question mark next to it, but I'm definitely on the leaning towards that this was just an unusually convenient coincidence, but maybe I'm particularly naive. After that, we do move straight into the crowning of the first ever UFC middleweight champion. So, uh, Bob, would you like to introduce the fighters competing for the belt? Yes, uh, UFC middleweight championship fight between Kevin Jackson and Frank Shamrock. Jackson has an Olympic gold medal in freestyle wrestling from 1992. He ends with a 3-0 MMA record coming off his win at U- uh, winning the UFC 14 middleweight tournament. He weighs in at 199 pounds. His opponent, Frank Shamrock, is a submission fighter with an MMA record of 14 wins, 7 losses and 1 draw. He's making his UFC debut here, currently on a three-fight winning streak and weighs in at 193 pounds. Uh, before the fight gets underway, Mike Goldberg tells us that Frank Shamrock said in the build-up to the fight that he wants to teach uh, these wrestlers some lessons in submissions, uh, and he is the person to do that. Uh, Jackson is said to have just responded with the word intriguing to that statement. Uh, we are underway in the middleweight championship fight, and Jackson comes forward to open, quickly closing the distance against the cage and getting a takedown. Shamrock twists his hips, Chaps traps Jackson's right arm and throws his legs up, locking in a straight arm bar. Jackson submits after just 14 seconds, even though the announcers insist that it was 22, but there was, a, there was an on-screen clock throughout this fight, so it was 14 seconds. And after 14 seconds, Frank Shamrock is rural UFC middleweight champion. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on that very short fight? Yes, very, very short. Um, yeah, um... You know, don't leave your arm in, is always the case. Um, over in a flash, and yeah, new champion. But, you know, as I said, like, I think this fight was fine. Um, just one of those things where, like, it's the... Uh, it, hey, if it could happen to CM Punk, it could happen to anyone, right? You know, that was what it reminded me of. The whole, like, <laughs> run in, get, like, you think you've got a position, then bang, you've gone. Like, you know, Punk thinks he's got the arm, no, I've been taken down. Like, Jackson thinks he's got the advantage, oh, no, he's got my arm, that's it. Um, looks a bit ugly, um, and yeah, a, a, an easy night and an easy payoff if you're, uh, if you're Frank Shamrock. Yeah, it was sk- scary quick, really. Um, the, the thing that caught me out, really, is that we kind of know that Jackson can fight. Like, he's won a UFC tournament and looked great doing it. Um, this wasn't Shamrock submitting someone in 14 seconds who has no business being in a, an octagon. This was an Olympic gold medalist and a uh, someone who's won MMA fights in the UFC. Um, the announcers were pretty stunned, and Jackson was actually a big favourite for this fight. So, really impressive from Frank Shamrock, and not a bad way to debut in a promotion. With that, we move into our heavyweight super fight. And uh, Bob, would you be so kind as to introduce our fighters? Yes, Joe Charles versus Beetor Belfort. Joe Charles is a wrestler and judoka who enters the fight with a 5-8 and eight MMA record, 2-1 in the UFC. Last heard on the podcast on the UFC Ultimate Ultimate 1995. He weighs in at £265. His opponent, Vitor Belfort, is a jiu-jitsu practitioner with knockout power. In the modern day, the phenom holds the record for the most knockouts in UFC history. The Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist has a 4-1 MMA record, 3-1 UFC, and weighs in at 230 pounds. A little bit of backstory on this one. Um, Belfort was ill, under the weather, sick. I don't know what exactly uh, was wrong with him. Um, but basically, just didn't want to 
you know, didn't want to appear on a show and, you know, put his, you know, as we always say, as I said before, as I said in that, in that review of the, uh, Dan Seven Ken Shamrock fight, you know, you put your body on the line, you reserve the right to do what you wish. Belfort did not want to appear on the show in the condition he was in, and they kind of went, ah, we kind of need you on the show. And so basically what happened was, they just went to Belfort and said, here's a list of fighters you could face with their records and the ease of which you could probably beat them. Uh, who would you like to face? And he picked Joe Charles, who I believe the perception was was probably one of the easier options on the list. Yeah, um, as you say, there's a lot of um, speculation around the legitimacy of this fight. There's other levels to it as well with um, Vitor's camp and like apparently telling Charles around, uh, that strikes aren't going to be allowed. It's going to be a pure grappling match and things like that. So um, we'll talk about that more having gone through the fight, uh, which we'll do now. After a tentative opening, Vitor clinches and forces Charles back against the fence, quickly getting a takedown into side mount. Vitor steps across into full mount and attempts at a Kimura, but Charles avoids it well initially, but ends up giving up his back. Vitor looks to get both his hooks in, but Charles is able to roll through and get top position. Vitor quickly counters and ends up on top again in side mount. He looks for an armbar, but Charles avoids it and Vitor is able to take his back again. Vitor looks for the rear naked choke, but Charles is able to defend that, spinning out with Vitor ending up in the mount. It looks like Charles might be able to get an ankle lock, but it doesn't happen. Vitor pushes up in the mount, jumps across and locks on a textbook armbar for the submission victory after four minutes and three seconds of grappling. Bob, uh, your thoughts on this fight? Uh, probably one of the more weird fights Vitor Belfort's ever going to be in. Um, zero punches thrown, a lot of rolling about on the mat. You know, this theory that Belfort wanted to test himself, as test his wrestling, which, you know, is the would, would be funny if it, if it wasn't so galling. Um, and, yeah, like, not particularly convincing on the ground from either guy. Like, Charles seems to have... Uh, you know, wrestled out from underneath Belfort. We talk about Belfort testing his ground game. He really was testing it. Um, he says he have this great ability to kind of roll out of a, a bad position and then get put straight back into one. Um, and then Belfort just gets on top, wrestles into position, locks in a very basic armbar and a quick submission. It's all over. Um, not for the first time, a very odd fight on this show. Yeah, this, this, does seem suspicious to me. It didn't seem like a total work or even a fight with like a predetermined outcome. Obviously, there's a layer to of of something along that lines with Vitor being able to pick an opponent of his choosing. Um, but the suggestion that there's a pre-fight agreement between the two of them to keep the bout purely grappling with no strikes seems pretty accurate to me. Vitor, in any of his fights, has never not come out. Which is. Uh, the announcers did try to sell it that Vitor wanted to make a statement, but neither man throwing a punch in the entire fight is just a little bit too coincidentally suspicious for me. Could have made a said, statement by walking up to him and just smashing his lights out, which which I, yeah, I, I, I mean, no doubt he could have done. Yeah, uh, he, he was he was in there with a, a lesser calibre guy. But that being said, this was I found this fairly entertaining as a grappling match would go um charles like like you said bob like he's defending a few positions and then getting put in a worse one was fairly amusing um vitor 
for the first time attempting to showcase his apparently highly rated grappling in the UFC. Um, a very suspicious fight, a very weird fight, but uh, not really too many complaints for me. Uh, we then take a look at the main event tonight, which has Maurice Smith defending his UFC heavyweight championship against Randy Couture. We look back at Smith defeating Coleman to win the title and successfully defending it against Tank Abbott at UFC 15. We also recap Randy Couture's tournament win at UFC 13 which and his super fight victory over Vitor Belfort at UFC 15, which earned him the right to challenge for the heavyweight title here tonight into our heavyweight tournament finals. Um, seeing as it's the exact matchup uh, from the uh, earlier semifinals, no new r- real need to go back through the fighter profiles, but just remind you that Sakuraba is apparently weighing 203 pounds, which in itself is probably a lie, and Silvera weighed in at 240 pounds. They uh, clinched to open the fight with Silvera muscling Sakuraba back against the fence before securing the takedown. Sakuraba tries for a Kimura from the bottom, but Silvera transitions to a waist lock to try and avoid it. Refuses to let go of the arm, holding it in place for the Kimura attempt from around the back. They work back up to the feet with Silvera attempting a standing choke but unable to lock it in. Silvera drops to the mat and tries a Kimura of his own, but Sakuraba is able to avoid it. Sakuraba finds himself kneeling just outside of Silvera's guard. He spins out of the guard, steps over Silvera's head and locks on a straight armbar for a submission victory after just three minutes and 44 seconds. Bob, what did you make of the uh, rematch? Yeah, like uh, somehow simultaneously a lot going on and not that much at the same time. Like, you know, like in, in some ways like a like an actual kind of MMA fight in the sense that, you know, you, you're just constantly trying to grapple for position. You're trying to... You know, you're trying to find that extra kind of, you know, half a step. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I'd say confidently that Sakuraba was was brilliantly on top right until until the point he won the fight. I mean, he had all the arm for a while, um, but yeah, he just managed to get into a good position and lock the armbar, and it was all over. Um, the other reason I was a little bit suspicious about all this was. Like Sakuraba wins and the place goes nuts, right? The Japanese crowd was largely pretty benign all night. You know, the building was like 20,000 capacity. It was only about half full or something like that. Um, so you could only hear the crowd. And some of that is just the, you know, Japanese, respectful Japanese MMA and wrestling fans. Um, but Sakuraba wins. The place goes, goes re- really, really loud. And then everyone kind of just vaults into the octagon, all this camp. And it all looked a bit like, ah, that's a bit, you know, like, you know, this, this kind of redemption idea in terms of the guy that gets screwed out of his match, the rematch. You know, if it was a pro wrestling story, it would be the perfect pro wrestling story. That's why I'm suspicious. I do have um, in my notes, this is a nice little redemption storyline that ran through the show for Sakuraba. And it turned out to be his one and only UFC appearance in his entire career. So, uh, I... With, with this in mind, this this fight, you, it, it it probably makes me feel less secure about the legitimacy of the initial semi-final. But at the end of the day, I don't think this fight was a work. Like, like Sakuraba, I think, won a legitimate fight here against a, a much larger guy. Um, and like you said, I don't I don't think he was particularly on top um, for the majority of it. Really, he was kind of of tough positions. And he did that well. And I thought he did really well to pick up the win as quick as he did. It was a entertaining little grappling match. Um, 
to say I enjoyed the the, the storyline, <laughs> however legitimate it was. Like it was a nice little hook for the show, really, and it I thought it uh, told a nice little story that had a bit of interest in a otherwise fairly bland heavyweight tournament. It was um, probably the most a... well booked show we covered in December. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely. In, in in my mind, I haven't been on the the WWF side of things. Uh, I think this was a better booked storyline than anything you'll find on a pay-per-view on Raw. So I enjoyed it. Uh, we move on with video package looking at both Maurice Smith and Randy Couture and their history in the UFC. Goldberg and Blatnip really hyped this main event up. And then we head to the Octagon for the US National Anthem and the formal introductions by Bruce Buffer. Um, I'm going to throw it to our Bruce Buffer here. And Bob, would you introduce our two main event fighters? Oh, I don't like that comparison. All right, let's, uh, let's, uh, I can't, I'm not going to try Bruce Buffer impression. Our main event for the evening is for the UFC Heavyweight Championship between Maurice Smith and Randy Couture. The champion Smith is a kickboxer who enters this fight with a 2 and 0 UFC record. Holds an MA record overall of 7 and 7. UFC Heavyweight Champion weighted at 220 pounds. Randy Couture is a three time Greco Roman wrestling national champion with a 3 and 0 MMA record, or UFC record, sorry. The UFC 13 tournament champion will go on to become the first only three men to hold the USC championships in two different weight divisions uh, and he also weighed in at 220 pounds as a little side note before this fight uh, Randy Couture came out wearing full length tights for this one and the reason behind that is because he didn't want any bruises left by Smith's leg kicks to show so during the fight which uh, is interesting bit of strategy there does Couture do it in future or did I imagine that I'm not sure actually um I don't recall him doing it again, but um, I, I know he's, that he's him and his camp were particularly worried about once the bruises show up, like you're going to target that area more. So just disguising it a little bit and a little bit of advantage in in that uh, Smith wouldn't know where to consistently target the same spot. So I'm not sure if he does oh, I'll it just, again. I just Google. I just Google him. And I I can't see any photos of uh, Couture in in long trousers again. Maybe I just dreamt that. But it it felt like so you've done since. But I must be con- confusing with myself with something else. Uh, the fight begins and Smith fires off a few leg kicks straight away, following up with a nice right hand and as Couture attempts to push forward. Couture eventually is able to close the distance, and they clinch against the cage before Couture slams him down to the mat into side mounts. Couture presses Smith into the fence as the two struggle for position on the ground. Couture controls him from the top, briefly posturing up and landing some strikes before attempting a key lock. Smith is able to block the submission attempt, but in doing so gives up the mount. Couture doesn't really throw a lot from the top here, but Smith isn't as busy from the bottom as we've seen him be in fights against Mark Coleman and Tank Abbott. Smith is eventually able to get back to half guard and continues his work until he is able to secure full guard again. Couture stands, but gets hit with a hard up kick from Smith, so Couture drops back down into the guard. Smith lands a nice elbow from the bottom as Couture looks to pass. Smith is almost able to scramble back to his feet, but Couture just about prevents it and spins to the back. So Smith rolls through and they drop back into the half guard position. Couture controls Smith very well, but his offense is in very sporadic bursts, doing minimal damage with minimal effort. Smith attempts to escape, 
rolling out from underneath Couture into a sprawl position, but Couture forces Smith back to the mat into the guard. He forces him back against the fence and throws a nice combination, so Smith again rolls away, and Couture nearly gets the back, but they once again end up in the mount. They stay in this position as we reach the initial 15-minute time limit. Into the first period of overtime, Smith comes out and throws a hard lead kick to open, but Couture catches his coming in for it and is able to get another takedown into side mount. Couture controls him from the top, but isn't particularly active in terms of attempting to strike, and things stay in this position for the remainder of the opening three-minute overtime period. The final three minutes of the fight, Smith comes out more aggressively, throwing and landing some glancing punches. Couture doesn't stand and take it for too long, and he gets another takedown into side mount. Couture spins into the north-south position, lands a knee to the head from there. Couture remains in complete control on top, and we stay in this position until we reach the 21-minute time limit. We head to the judges, who award the contest to Randy Couture, making him the new UFC World Heavyweight Champion. Bob, your thoughts on this fight and the title change? I'm glad this wasn't in Birmingham, Alabama, slash any other place with a lot of people that have been drinking for a couple of hours that were expecting a lot of action. That's not to say it was a bad fight. Just to say, I don't think it would have gone down well with that kind of audience. Um, yeah, we've seen before that Maurice Smith's plan is, you know, essentially to try and outlast someone. Um, the problem was he kind of found his maker in the uh, cardio stakes in Randy Couture. Um, and so we got this technically fine, but not brilliantly interesting 21 minutes where about 95% of it was Couture just being on top on the mat without really getting in any good shots, without really being all that effective. Um, you know, Smith tried he defended adequately well in fact you know perfectly fine um but couldn't get out into any kind of position um and even when they occasionally did get to their feet um it just didn't work um i guess a few questions chris beyond beyond your own comments would be uh one in terms of should john mccarthy have picked up the you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I probably shouldn't be asking the questions, but I'll set them out anyway. Uh, should, should John McCarthy have stood them up more than he did? Um, and secondly, uh, well, to, to kind of finish my point was that I was, I watched this and went, yeah, uh, Rani Couture's the, the rightful winner. Um, one judge scored, no, uh, one judge scored it a draw? That's right, yeah, which I thought was a bit weird because, it seemed like they were giving Smith a lot of credit for like the two minutes they were stood up versus the 19 that Couture was on top. Um, so yeah, those are the two things that I'd probably flag. A decent, it, look, we, we've seen matches of this length that have been a lot worse. I think I will say that for certain. Um, but you, you, you might file this under one for the purists. Yeah, I mean, this wasn't a horrible fight. It wasn't a good fight. It was somewhere in between. It was okay. Um, it's obviously historically significant, um, both in the story of Randy Couture, the, the man and the fighter, and, and the fact that there was a new UFC heavyweight champion crowned. But it was hardly riveting, really. Not in Couture's game plan at all. Like He held him in place for about 95% of the fight. Um, it was the correct strategy in attempting to pick up the victory, and he utilised it excellently and pulled it off, but it didn't make for exciting viewing necessarily. Um, it was a very technical fight, and it prevented Smith from being able to maximise his strengths in his cardio, and the two times we've seen Smith fight in the UFC has been against fighters who've 
come out and um, thrown a storm at him early and gassed out in Mark Coleman and Tank Abbott. And once once their energy's gone, they they were gone as fighters. And Smith was able to la- outlast them and outmatch their their cardio and and pull through. And he did that really well and in those fights. But Couture prevented that because he never really opened up and he, he never gassed out. Um, it was fine. Um, Couture won more of a a battle of game plans here than than a fight almost. It was a very technical fight. Um, on the two points you flagged, I was surprised McCarthy didn't stand them up uh, more frequently throughout. There were large periods of, they may have been manoeuvring for position, but neither fighter was throwing any strikes and uh, or attempting a submission either. So when that's the circumstance, I would like to see a fight stood up more frequently um, this being MMA rather than a pure grappling contest. Uh, that said, like, exa- you're exactly right. We've seen fights this long or longer than this that have been uh, with half as much action. Um, this this was not a boring fight. It was just technical. I, I, I do agree with you as well. I, I don't know how you could give this fight to Smith really or even a draw. Randy Couture won this fight and he won it handily in, in my mind and yours as well from, from your comments. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the criticism of Couture would be that he didn't do enough, but it's like, well, yeah, but it's, he was still on top for most of the fight. Like, you know, for the, for the sake of going back to the time in USC before there were judges where this would have gone to a draw, Couture was clearly the better fighter here. It just, it wasn't, it was kind of clear, even though it was quite close. Like, you know, it was a fairly even battle, but Couture was objectively the better fighter. Um, on the thing about them standing up, I think the thing that probably worked against McCarthy doing it more often was they were always, they always looked like they were going to do something. Like, we've seen things on the, on, on, on these shows before where two guys are on the ground, it just looks like they just sat on top of each other. It always looked like one or both was maneuvering for some sort of position. It's just every time one guy moved, the other guy kind of corrected it. Um, and so he never really went anywhere. Um, but equally, the times where it went back to the feet, we got back to the mat so quickly, I don't know that it would have helped. Um, but yeah, like an interesting fight would be my description, but not one that you're going to be in a hurry to go back and watch. No, I'd agree with all that. And that will effectively bring us to the end of our coverage of the UFC Ultimate Japan show. Um, so before we wrap up entirely, we'll uh, go through our awards for the show. So awards, fight of the night and fighter of the night. So, uh, Bob, um, what are your picks? Ooh, um, it's usually easier than this. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll give fighters to Frank Shamrock. Um, you know, you beat a guy of Jackson that won the tournament a couple of months back or a few months back uh, in 15 seconds. You know, I don't want to call it lucky, even though it looked really easy. Um, that would be my fighter of the night, just for probably the only decisive thing that really happened on the show. Uh, as for fight, um, oh, an honourable mention to Andrew for fighter of the night for just taking a pounding against Tank Abbott and, and, <laughs> and weathering it. Uh, fight of the night, uh, 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 I'll go with the opening match. Uh, Tank Abbott, Beating fuck out of Yoji Anjo. Um, it's, it's not a, 
it, 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 look, it, it's not the easy, it, it's not the most clear cut award. Uh, I mean, that or the main event, I suppose. But yeah, uh, nothing stand out on this show for me in, in that category. No, I, I agree. It's probably the hardest to pick um, these awards out of any UFC show we've done, and it's not because there's so many candidates. It's quite the opposite. I have to agree with you on Fighter of the Night, just because Shamrock so decisively uh, defeated a. Uh, a name fighter, an Olympic gold medalist, and someone we'd seen uh, fight and and win and win comfortably in the UFC before. So Frank Shamrock for fighter of the night, fight of the night, heavyweight tournament final because maybe I'm a naive sucker, but I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed the culmination of a show long storyline in Sakuraba earning some redemption, uh, declared knocked out earlier in the night, coming back and uh, submitting a much larger man. Uh, after quite an entertaining little grappling contest. So that'll be my uh, fight of the night. There's only two of us, really, so I don't know what gets either award here, aside from Frank Shambrook. Yeah, funny enough, I I wouldn't be shocked if we see this kind of story in the WWF and WCW one of the two in the next couple of months. I just wouldn't be shocked if if someone goes, huh, that worked quite well. Let's let's do the whole, <laughs> you know, contentious, honest mistake referee decision. Oh, look, we, we'll, we'll rematch the card and then he, he, he gets the redemption. Maybe we will. The other thing of note, really, just before we wrap up, is that technically we should be doing our end of year awards as well. Uh, one, me and Chris haven't discussed it. Two, I haven't really prepared for it. Uh, and three, an award show with two people, I don't think it would really work. So, Chris, what I would suggest, what I was going to suggest, was that we uh, we do the 97 end of year awards at the start of the uh, of the next show when Tom's back with us. Uh, one, so I got some time to watch through some of the 97 stuff again and remind myself, but also so we've got a bit more variety with three three people voting. Sure, sounds uh, sounds good. Yeah, we've got the we've got one, two, three, five events in um, 97, and plenty of uh, fights to choose from. There's uh, five title fights and and five shows, so um, plenty of ch- plenty to choose from. Plenty of uh, great fights, and but a few duds in there as well. So, oh, yeah. so technically we've got six because we obviously did the uh, the old Pride fight, uh, Pride show as well. Um, of course, yeah. So we're doing MMA end of year awards. We, we'll throw Pride in there as well. Yeah, I think we probably should. Uh, it, I'd have to go back and revisit it all. It was a couple of months ago since we did it. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it. it you know, th- this was as this was like you know. This was kind of a half UFC show, really. You know, like it, it was in many ways. Like if you were to show me this card and then show me the Pride card, like it was about fifty-fifty in terms of the the name value of the guys involved. There were a lot of guys in that Pride card that we covered before, versus on this one where you know we had Belfort and and Couture and Smith and a few guys like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what we should do anyway. Um, yeah, whether much or whether much of note will come from that, other than perhaps the award for most weird shit during an MMA match in 1997 of the guys Pride. being near the corner and then being <laughs> shuffled towards the middle. I mean, I don't think we'll top that in that front. Um, no, but I think yes, we could I, say from the award that that category now um, with a very little. Uh, debate coming from tom or anyone else yes but i think we'll uh yeah we'll we'll do that at the start of the next uh mma show i think we're actually attacking us that could be pride if we do pride in february uh, if that's the next one the next show we're all on we'll do the 98 and 97 awards i think it's the best thing to do excellent so that's something for everyone to look forward to and to wrap up uh this 
review of a half show, UFC 15.5, as it's colloquially known. Bob, your overall thoughts and a score rating out of 10. Yeah, um, there's, there's nothing go out of your way to see without any question about it. Um, you know, I suppose if you're a, a UFC buff, it's a show that includes an early fight of Rani Couture and an early fight of Vitor Belfort. Um, it's watchable. You know, I, I think, Chris, you, were, you went through the Pride show last time, and I think, admittedly, on review, you perhaps thought you were a little bit hard of it um, immediately after you watched it. But you said that was an incredibly boring show, in part because the video we watched was just fight, 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 fight. Um... I, like, I, I didn't brilliantly disagree with you on that either, but I think this was quite watchable, um, would be my description, as in nothing was ever, oh god, this is really dull. And there's a few really weird things going on, so I'm gonna give this a 5 out of 10. I think that's fair. Um, historically, it's a very interesting show. I mean, if you told a modern day MMA fan who, who wouldn't know this card or the results or the the lineup necessary. If you say, well, I could show you a show from 1997. It's the one and only time you'll ever see Sakuraba fight in the UFC. It's the promotion debut of a named guy in Frank Shamrock. And it's the crowning of one of the greatest UFC champions ever in Randy Couture. Um, you'd get them very excited, but this is not a must see show. It was, it was fine. There was nothing horrible. It didn't have a good to great fight on the show. Um, and aside from the middleweight title fight, most of them lacked a sort of spark and a drama. Even like the, the fight of the night I gave, the, the, the heavyweight tournament final, it the, there was no, there didn't seem like a real energy. Maybe it was the flatness of the crowd, or like as opposed to the rowdier crowds you'd have back in America. But it did lack a spark. Um, one of the less entertaining shows we've reviewed for the podcast but it was fine it wasn't a bad show i think i'm with you on a five i think that's perfectly accurate and fair uh, assessment for this show and with that uh, i think that will do it for the uh, december 1997 mma 20 years ago podcast um bob i'd like to thank you for joining me and uh, welcome you to tell our listeners about our patreon Yes, uh, you called it a half show. We only got about 50 minutes, but you know, such is life. It wasn't the, the, the most eventful, but a nice way to spend the, the first half of a Thursday evening. Uh, yes, we're on Patreon for five bucks a month if you'd like to say thank you. And in theory, at least, get early access to our shows. I've not been doing a very good job of it recently, but I'm going to hopefully improve in 1998. Uh, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash wrestling20rs. Links on our website and in the podcast description. Excellent. Um, as I said at the start of the show, December 1997, six volumes for you. This being volume four, volume one, looking at that big WCW Starcade show, the long-awaited Sting versus Hulk Hogan match. Volume two, WWF, looking at In Your House Degeneration X. Volume presented, three, up- presented by Chris for your number two. I should uh, I should underline. Oh yeah, presented by me. If you want some more of this cold-ridden voice, with my you didn't have, you know, and- quite as much of cold when you turned that one, did you? Uh, I don't think so. I've kind of been like carrying a winter cold since mid-December. That's just sort of lingering good days and bad days. So thank you very much, listeners, for sticking with my uh, sniffing and coughing. I have tried to mute my mic where appropriate. Uh, Volume 3, wrapping up the monthly wrestling coverage with ECW. And as I said at the start of the show, with it being December, two extra volumes for you. Volume 5 is the end-of-year review for 1997. 
purely wrestling based as bob said on this show we'll bring you the 1997 in mma stuff on the next time we've got free man uf uh, mma podcast for you and volume six is the 1997 end of year awards uh as i said i've been your host chris white you can find me on twitter if you'd like to do so at chris white 14 thank you very much for listening i would wish you a happy new year but it's the 4th of january so uh Happy 1998 would be uh, would be would be appropriate here, I think. Happy 1998 to all of the listeners. Thank you very much, and until next time, goodbye. <laughs>